and welcome to the Peaceful Pastures podcast, finding peace in the pastures, spending 10 minutes each day with your shepherd. I am Pastor Daniel Lewig, and this podcast is brought to you by Christ Countryside Ministries, the regional ministries of St. John's Hill Point, Trinity Lime Ridge, and Bethlehem Richland Center. On day two, we capture the context. We recognize our world today is just a little bit different than the world at the time of the Bible. There are customs, practices, idioms, descriptions of locations that are lost on us. On this day, we take the opportunity to explore the context of the chapters in front of us. Yesterday, we listened to chapters 17 through 20 of the book of Genesis. Let's explore what's taking place surrounding this lesson. But before we do, let us begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, these things are written, that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. Amen. We have mentioned before that names carry significance, especially in the book of Genesis. We noted in a couple of podcasts ago that Abram's name meant exalted father. We see that name coming up again in chapter 17. As God tells Abraham of some name changes that he is making to both Abram and Sarai. He says that you will no longer be called Abram, which means exalted father, but you will be called Abraham which means father of a multitude. Sarai will now be called Sarah. While there's some discrepancies about what the name Sarai might mean, Sarah itself means princess. So why does God make this this name change? What is the significance here? What is the lesson that God is trying to give to, uh, to Abraham What is the blessing he wants Abraham to hold on to? Well, instead of being just an exalted exalted father, which already is a very revered name, God has Abraham look at his new name as a way of clinging to the promise that he will be the father of nations. Not only was God going to bless Abraham with a son, he was going to bless him with many sons, with many descendants, as stated earlier in Genesis, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands of a seashore. For Sarah, as God referenced that kings would come from Abraham's line, well, if you are going to have royalty, then you must be royalty as well. That name, princess, recognizes that kings would come from Abraham's line, from Sarah, that the king of kings, the promised savior, would come from their line as well. When you think of the people of Israel and the the timeline that moves forward, we remember the royal line that is referenced by the time period of David, of David and Solomon. These were the, the kings that would come from Abraham's line. But this isn't the only, or these aren't the only names that are referenced in chapter 17. 
the name that God gives for himself is a name called El Shaddai. This is the Hebrew name that is provided here that is different from names that God has used in the past. The name El Shaddai that is used here in chapter 17 for God referencing himself is a root word that means to display power. It's a fitting name, isn't it? As God is telling Abraham of the, the not only the name changes, but the significance of those changes and what God was going to do, that even at Abraham's old age, even at an age when Sarah was well past the time period of being able to have children, God's power would be on display through this couple, through Abraham and Sarah. What God accomplished with Abraham and Sarah, perhaps you wondered, or maybe you've wondered why God would wait so long to deliver on this promise that he gave. It has been now almost 25 years since God first came to Abram and told him that he would have a son. Why did God make Abraham and Sarah wait so long? Martin Luther put it this way, It's God's way to empty a man first before filling him with blessing. God wanted Abraham to trust in his promises. Even when the circumstances seemed like it was impossible, God wanted Abraham to wait, to trust completely, to have full faith in his promises. God wanted Abraham to wait until there was no way that human power could accomplish this. For humans, when, it, when there is no hope, when there is no possibility that this could happen, God's power would be on full display. It's God's way to empty a man first before filling him with blessing. Abraham and Sarah were about to receive that full blessing of God and the son who was to come. God's words to Abraham in chapter 17 was to tell him to be blameless. Another way of looking at those words is to say to be complete. God wanted Abraham to live his life before him in complete confidence of God's unlimited power. Also in chapter 17, we see a new sign of the covenant that God has with Abraham. In this chapter, it references circumcision. This circumcision was not new at this time. It was a practice of the day for especially sanitary reasons. But what God does here is takes this and makes it an intimate, personal sign of the promise. Every male offspring would now have a deeply personal connection to this promise. God uses the male organ for procreation to assist with the sign of future offspring that would lead to the promised Savior. When we understand the historical context of circumcision and why God provided it, it helps us to understand circumc circumcision in the broad perspective. 
Why did circumcision end as a prerequisite for an Israelite? We get to that in New Testament times. To understand that question, to answer that question, you have to have a proper understanding of its origin and purpose, which is what we just explored here in Genesis chapter 17. Circumcision was a sign of God's covenant promise to send a Savior of of the future lines that would lead to the Savior. Well, once the Savior came, that sign had been fulfilled. There was no need to keep up with that as that connection to God. In chapter 18, we have the account of the three visitors in Abraham. To understand this chapter better, or at least the context surrounding it, it's important to understand the custom of hospitality at this time. At this time, it was considered an honor to host a stranger. That might be hard for us to think about today. We value our, our privacy today. We value our, our own space. Even changes in our society in the last 30 years have changed from a, a popover visit being a welcomed thing to more of something that could be offensive. At this time, at this time period that is mentioned here with Abraham, it was considered an honor to host a stranger, to host an unexpected stranger. A person would willingly provide a a meal, a place to freshen up, rest, to be given some water and sustenance. And Abraham here was no different. It's important to note that when he calls these strangers, at least one of them, my Lord. This isn't him with recognition of who's there. Abraham doesn't realize he's in the presence of of God and angels until later in their discourse and dialogue. But that phrase, my Lord, is a title of respect. This is often given to strangers coming through. Again, denoting that honor and privilege of being able to serve as host. Later in chapter 18, we see God talking about what he is going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. And God uses the phrase, I will go down and see. I will go down now and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has come to me. That phrase might be a little confusing. Did God not know what was going on? What is the the purpose of, of that phrase? The people's Bible describes it in this way. God's words, I will go down and see, are not to be understood as though God actually had to make a special trip to Sodom for an on-site inspection of the city's corruption before giving the order to destroy it. God uses a figure of speech here in which he ascribes human actions to himself in order to emphasize this important truth. God does nothing without possessing all the facts in the case. He does not act arbitrarily. If he chooses to send punishment on a city or a nation, that judgment is well-deserved. Abraham's prayer that takes place in the second half of chapter 18 will be covered in more detail in connection with chapter 32 on a discussion on prayer. We will also take a look at chapter 19 
in further detail in tomorrow's podcast. In chapter 20, we see Abraham's repeated mistake. This chapter looks awfully familiar to what we see in chapter 12. When Abraham tells Sarah to act as his sister and not as his wife in the presence of a king. This one might be more confusing than chapter 12, isn't it? Abraham has already gone through this lesson. He saw God's response, how God prevented things from happening in chapter 12. After being embarrassed in God's sight, How could Abraham go and do this very same thing again? How could he do the same thing just after having God's appearance to him, telling him that a child was going to be his in less than a year's time? Is it any different than our repeated sins? Things and times when we have been embarrassed before God because of our actions? only to go back and do the very same thing again? The context here shows us that even the father of faith, even strong believers, struggle with repeated sins. Satan is very good at exploiting spiritual weakness. He knows exactly where we are vulnerable. Seeing this happen to Abraham is also a warning for us to be careful and cautious about temptations, about where our faith is weak. These are areas where we can ask God for we can ask God for strength. It's also worth noting here that we see something very rare in this chapter, in this setting, of God's rare appearance to non-Israelites, as God appeared in a dream to Abimelech. Only three times in the Old Testament does God appear directly to non-Israelites. Again, why would God intervene in this way? Why was this so significant? Again, we see the devil trying to get in the way of God's plan of salvation. The line of the Savior was about ready to make its next connection as Abram and Sarah were about to have a child. Anything that could cast doubt on the offspring, on the line of the Savior, allows the devil to damage the faith of believers. God here intervenes and steps in to preserve his promise to preserve the line through which the Savior would come. God does not want there to be any doubt about this line that would lead to the Savior. In these chapters, we see God's direct approach to keep a promise, to assuade doubt, to bring upon blessing and joy, to forgive and still bless to warn about judgment against sin, and also to shower his amazing love on those who by faith can call him their Heavenly Father. 
This wraps up today's podcast. We invite you to join in next time and take the opportunity to share our podcast with someone in your life who could use some peace in the pastures. You can find our podcast on all major podcasting platforms. If you have any questions, feel free to contact us at Christ Countryside Wells, W-E-L-S, at yahoo.com. Our podcast is brought to you by Christ Countryside Ministries, the regional ministry of St. John's Hill Point, Trinity Lime Ridge, and Bethlehem Richland Center. Music used with permission from Koine, part of their soundtrack to Oh That the Lord Would Guide My Ways. You can find their music on iTunes and many other online musical stores. Scripture used in this podcast is from the Evangelical Heritage Version, used with permission from the Wartburg Project. This is Pastor Daniel Lewig wishing you God's richest blessings on your day.